This morning we'll be picking up uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I had expected to get, I was looking at doing half the chapter today. But today I think we're only going to get through the first seven verses. I don't think that this is something to rush. And you might say halfway through, Tim, please rush. But, but we're going to get into it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 7. Uh, and the title of the message uh, is The Same Spirit and the Same Lord. The same spirit, the same Lord. Remember that Corinthians is a corrective letter. It's written by Paul to the church in Corinth, which was a major city. Uh, if we remember, there was that saying to live like a Corinthian, uh, which was really an untethered lifestyle. Uh, but it was corrective. It was Paul correcting the church. And I think that that's part of why Corinthians is such a great letter. It was such a great letter for me early on and still is now. But I needed so much correction. and Not that I don't need it now. But I just had no clue. I was living my life so messed up that this correction was so bold and brash and to the point that it, there was, I had no excuse. It was easy to understand because it was so straightforward. And Corinthians is like that. And Paul is like that. It's harsh at times. And I, I think that Paul's gone through most of the harshity. And we get to move on to things that are a little bit more, hopefully, encouraging. But as it's said, when we receive uh, or hear anything in life, we should consider the source. Is it uh, Fox News, CNN, the White House? Is it a person that loves us? Is it a person that cares about us? Do they have a motive for us or are they just a traveling salesman? But especially when we, we receive uh, or someone gives us a hard word, when someone has to rebuke us or correct us or say something to us, we should consider the source. Is this something that I should really listen to or not? Sometimes it takes prayer to figure that out or not. And we saw last time, we saw communion. We saw that the church was divided, that it, was, it gave priority to the flesh, right? When it was time to communion, time to remember the Lord, time to feed each other, time to have a feast, they would push and shove and eat all the food and there would be no tacos for the people who were truly hungry. But we had friends over yesterday. It was meant to be only like an hour or two. They want to share with us some stuff about the ministry that they're in. And it turned into like five hours and it was great fellowship. And we learned about, I learned a new coffee drink that I like. They taught us about, I don't know if you guys, what was the place of the, the ice cream? The Big Dipper. The Big Dipper. You guys are aware of the Big Dipper. Apparently it's good. Um, but it was great fellowship. We talked about the church. We talked about, uh, I mean, this is just applicable to what we're talking about today, but we talked about pastoral roles, people just spectating, maybe not even realizing that God has things for them, that in the church, the, the stage is not the end of the ministry. The stage is not the ministry. The stage is just sort of the way to equip the body and encourage the body to then go out and do the works of God. That God has called each of us to be believers. And as we'll see, God has given each of us gifts to live out the heavenly calling in our lives. And the pastoral teaching, it's easy for me to kind of point that out, is the one that's meant to equip the saints. That when you come to a Bible teaching, when you listen to a message, it should equip you, it should encourage you, it should build you up to live out the life God has called you to do. That in fact, it's somehow greater than even the pastoral ministry in a sense, because the pastoral ministry is confined to the church in a way, it's confined to a podcast. Yes, unbelievers come, but the church goes out in the world the other six days of the week. The church is out there living a life, running a business, having a family 24 hours a day. When the pastoral ministry, yeah, I know it's a 24-hour thing all week, right? But it's that, what, hour on a Sunday? And Ephesians says, 4.11 through 16, And he himself 
that's God, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should, I'm going to stop there for a second, is that's for everybody. That in this life, we need to learn about God. We need to encourage each other in our walk with God. Because when we get to heaven, we'll see him face to face. It says that no one will have to teach his brother anymore saying, know the Lord when we get there. But now we need that. Uh, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love he says a lot there but what he's saying is that the gifts and the calling and the role of the pastor and the role of all the other gifts as well is to build us all up together as the body of jesus as one body who's out there walking and talking and doing the things of god on earth in this life because that's what it's to be for. That those who are under the teaching, under the guidance, or receiving a word, or being evangelized to, or being encouraged, whatever that gift may be, they're to be strong in the word. Not to be easily fooled. Um, as we'll see a little bit later, not to be ignorant of it. To grow up into all that God wants us all to be. The pastor too. The worship team too. The children minister too. The secretary as well that we're all to grow up into the people that God wants us to be individually, but also together as a body, as people of the church, as God's children, to be equipped to do the things that God has called them to do. That God has called each and every one of us in our lives to do things for him and really with him. It's not like he needs employees and he called us out and said, hey, he put a job on Craigslist and you and I took the ad on Craigslist to take the job or whatever it is. He's called us because he loves us. He wants us to be where he is and where he is, is doing things in the world, reconciling people to himself. And we're to be those ambassadors with him. Just like when I go do something, I'm sure you guys do things. Your kids want to do them with you. And that should be the same way with us and God. But God doesn't call us to do something and not, not equip us. Jacob wanted to learn about the ride on mower the other day. So he was on it and we both don't fit on it, but we pulled out of the barn. And I showed him how to use it. I still won't let him use it just because you know, he might run off down the street and go get a slushie in it as opposed to something else. But I don't want him to get hurt. It's just a big machine. Another year or two, and he'll be out there mowing the lawn. But that's the way God is with us. He wouldn't, God wouldn't just give you a lawnmower and say, have at it without showing you how it works, without showing you what it does, without showing you the best route to take around the lawn to be done in the most efficient manner and not be doubling back over yourself. I'm always trying to figure out the better way to go. Last week I tried something new and it was not better. <laughs> I got to go back and do it another way. But that's the same thing with the spiritual gifts of God. We don't need to be afraid. When God calls us to do something, he's not only going to call us, he's also going to equip us, and then he's also going to give us the power and the strength to do it. That really, in the end, it's really God doing it all. We just get to go along for the ride by saying yes. And again, the pastor is just the coach, the instructor, the sergeant. The people are the team, the soldiers, the students. Um, and we're all in it together. God calls in a sense, a pastor equips or the role of the pastor equips, but the saints do. God calls, the body equips, and the saints do. 
And they all do, and we all do by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. With the gifts, those spiritual abilities that we'll look at in a minute, that God has given us. Like I said before, the kids, you know, we like gifts, right? But when we get a gift, like even, you know, when you get a bonus at work, it's, it's really because something went well or you did something well, it's still earned. But when God gives us a gift, it's a gift. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything that made God extra happy that says, hey, I'm going to give you this thing here. I'm going to give you this gift or this talent, right? We have talents in our flesh. Some of us are better at music. Some of us are better at drawing. Some of us are better with our hands. Some of us are better cooking. And sometimes it's really evident when we don't have a talent and we try and do it, like trying to sing or trying to cook or any one of those things, right? As much as we want those talents, we can't earn them. We can't, you know, you can learn a little bit, but you might struggle your whole life to play the piano, but someone else was born and they were just a prodigy at it, right? That's a physical talent. But there's another layer on top of that of a spiritual gift that not everyone, for this example, who's good at playing the piano is a worship leader. And we conflate that. We say that, oh, because they're good on a physical talent, they must have a spiritual gift. And they don't. You know, they might sing really well and play really well, but are people really brought into the presence of God? Do they really have the gift to lead people in worship? Maybe, maybe not. You know, there's different tests out there that we can take online. <laughs> You know, the kind of like the Christian BuzzFeed to see if there's things that we're good at or excel at gifts. And, you know, maybe there's some some evidence to some of those. I've taken some of those before and sometimes like, oh, yeah, maybe it's right. Maybe it's not. But that's not always the case because the gifts come from the calling of God that I can remember being we called the, the sound booth uh, at the church in New York, the penalty box because it was a half wall. And we liked hockey and it looked like a hockey penalty box. I can remember being back there making CDs and there's people around there and I'm a deacon of the church. And I just sensed the Lord just saying, come out from behind here. Like, don't be hiding back here. You know, I, yeah, you're serving me, making copies of CDs, but go out there and talk to people. Go out there and minister to people because that's what I've called you to do. This is great and all, but I want you to go out there and do something different, right? And sometimes it's easier to serve things than it is to serve people. It's a lot easier for me to go out in the shop and clean up my shop sometimes than it is for me when I have a headache than it is for me just to spend some time with my kids. And that's awful because God calls us to serve people, not to serve things. He calls us to serve people and to steward things. And with us, the, the gifts, as we'll see, it's not about a thing. It's not about having a thing. It's about the person of the Holy Spirit and uh, we'll see what God does with that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gifts that God, has. we don't have to earn them, we just get to receive them. That God, you've got things you want to just give us, things you've maybe even already given us, God, that we need to exercise and use and, and carry out and obey and learn how to be equipped for them. But God, just because one has one and one has another, it doesn't mean that we're lesser. Or just because we don't know what you gifted us, or maybe you don't even know what you've called us to do, doesn't mean that you haven't yet. That God, that you've got such great plans for each one of us to live a life that's just, uh, as we'll see, abundant. And so we pray that God, that that would be the case this morning, that we would hear from you, be equipped by you, and encouraged by you in your spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll read the, a whopping three verses to start. It says, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant, 
You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And Paul starts off, I don't want you to be ignorant. In a way, I think Paul is kind of saying, guys, you're ignorant. And I don't want you to be that way. I don't want you to be that way anymore. To be ignorant means to, to not know, to not understand, but can also mean to be wrong. That you're wrong on something. I don't know if it's still a popular phrase, but among the, among the youths, hello, fellow kids, it, it was a cool saying a few years ago to say, oh, that's ignorant. That's ignorant, right? Dumb, foolish, you know, fun, you have fun at the same time. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. And there's a saying, ignorance is bliss. Well, it's not in this case. When it comes to the things of God, ignorance is not bliss. Uh, and the com- I read the commentary after studying, and... Uh, he mentions that Paul says that in his letters that he doesn't want the church to be ignorant about three things. One is God's plan for Israel. Two is the spiritual gifts. And three is the second coming and eternity. And he says it's interesting that those are the exact three things that the church is ignorant on today. They think that Israel is not important or God's done with Israel or any of these things. They don't understand what the gifts are. They don't believe that the gifts exist or that they still happen or that they do happen, but they happen in ways that aren't biblical or that Jesus isn't coming. We were talking with friends yesterday, and if they ever listened, sorry to throw you out, they weren't sure where they stood on the end times. And I was like, well, let me tell you, I didn't go into it, but I was like, well, the Bible is kind of clear on these things, right? That the heart of God is there and he doesn't want us to be ignorant on them. That they're there if we're willing to look and to seek and to find and to just read. Like we mentioned about chapter 13, about the, the chapter of love, that even the world knows this chapter, and yet we're totally ignorant. It's like we like the cream in the middle of the Oreo, but we don't like the two cookies on the other end of chapter 12 and 14 about the gifts. And I get it, and we'll talk about maybe some of the reasons why there. But there's a life for us to be lived in the Spirit, by the Spirit, that we should be aware of. Because if God's Spirit dwells within us, well, He's not quiet. He's not just in there asleep he's alive the living god dwells within you and i and so does our life feel like look like act like seem like god is living in us is there something in us that we can even recognize that says wow like my life would not be like this if god was not a part of it so are we alive but are we really living i know that's a a cliche saying right But John 10, 10, and I've said it before, Jesus says in the second half of the verse, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Yes, we're living, but we should be born again into a greater life, a life that God has for us. And I think, I don't know that I would get too theological on this, but I believe in in one way of looking at it, there, there might be three ways to live life. Three ways to live life. Number one is without the Holy Spirit is that this is the way we all lived before we came to know the Lord. We walked in the darkness of our own understanding. We lived life. We went out and did the things that we thought would give us life. But what did we find in the end? Death. Emptiness. And that's where God found us. That's where God scooped us up. And number two would be, well, now that we've come to know him, we're saved as it's called. We live with the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit has ministered to us, has convicted us, has pointed us to Jesus, and now we've accepted him into our lives. So we want the things of God, uh, but maybe we're just not paying attention to him. Maybe we're still prioritizing our flesh, or maybe we're just ignorant. We've gotten saved. We don't know what the rest of the Bible says, right? And as I open up 1 Corinthians, I don't feel ignorant anymore. This is amazing. My ignorance is being washed away by the word of God. And I think the third part, and I think that there's kind of a blurry line here that it's, you know, because I wouldn't want to say that someone who just comes to know the Lord and doesn't know the Bible or other things is not full of the Holy Spirit. Because they are. But they, they haven't really, I don't know, there's a, um, you'll see, we'll get into it. Because the Holy Spirit then can fill us to a point where we're aware of that joy. And you can have that as a brand new believer. I remember waking up the next morning, not realizing, but not understanding it, but I had the peace of God. I didn't feel empty anymore. It was evident. I knew that God's spirit was filling me now, but yet I still went out and did, you know, I still did the things I did to some degree, but there was a difference there and God would begin to work these things out of my life. And some things he took away right away that I had no desire for anymore. But we have that joy. We have that peace that passes understanding. We have the energy, the drive to do the things of God. And by the Spirit, it's when we walk in obedience to doing the things that God would have us do. And it's a joy. It's not a burden. It's it's the sense that God is the one doing it through us. It's like, in a sense, walking on water. We find ourselves in life doing things, going places, saying things, talking to people, words coming out of our mouth, uh, peace, joy, or words not coming out of our mouth when normally they would have come out of our mouth in the past. And we realize that we never would have been like this if it wasn't for the Lord. That my day would have been different if I hadn't prayed in the morning or read my Bible for two minutes. That, man, you just sense there's a difference. That God is always in us, but there's a sense of, as it's been said, we leak right? That we need to be filled, that we need to spend time with him, that we, you know, we might have this constant flow of the living water. And John, Jesus said in John 14, 12, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. Jesus is saying to us and to anyone who would believe in him, the works that Jesus does, we will also do. And greater works than he's, these he will do because I go to my Father. Well, what's greater than the cross? Nothing. But because of the cross, we're able to live our lives for him. That Jesus ministered for what? Three years? But we have the rest of our lives, which is probably more than three years, hopefully, until he comes to do just that. That we have more time on earth to live out a life as God would have us live out, to minister to those around us than Jesus did. And Jesus did a whole lot in three years. Jesus changed the world in three years. So what can the church do with 2,000 years? But I believe this fear of the Spirit or ignorance, in a sense, of Him is what can swing us many different ways. Because we have one side of the coin that might say that the, the, the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. There are only these gifts remain that no, 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 God doesn't heal anymore or God doesn't do this anymore. Well, I ask why. Why would God say, okay, well, the, the teaching is still there, but I'm not going to heal any, anyone anymore. And we talked about it yesterday in a sense, like 
just talking about America and the place of America and how we have, su- have had such a blessing of God over the years that in a sense, if God does a healing here, we might just attribute it to the chemo. If God does a healing here, we might give credit to the doctor. Or if God does a healing here, or maybe there's just no room to it. But in the same sense, we have the entire word of God. This country was founded on Christian principles, at least. We've had the word of God. We've had the freedom to read it and to know it. And what greater sign is there than the word of God? Jesus said, an adulterous and wicked generation seek after a sign. So if we have the word of God, right, and we, diso- and we don't believe, well, what greater thing is there? Is the healing really going to make us believe more than the word of God, than the truth of God? No. And we talked about a lot of things related to that yesterday. But on the, on the other side of that, in a place that doesn't have the word of God, God might be more willing to do a healing to get people's attention to then get them to turn towards the word of God where they haven't had that before. And I just, I have to say like, if the Holy Spirit is on earth, why would he tie one hand behind his back? Why would he say, I'm only going to use these two and not these five? I mean, sure, God has the power to do that if he wills. But if the gifts have really ceased, why would God stop giving them? Did God run out? Does God think that they were effective when we all wore robes and rode donkeys, but they're not effective now for some reason? I think they're afraid of it. I think either they're afraid of the work of God. They brought an ignorant understanding, as the commentary talks about. A pagan, the Corinthians had this pagan, idolatrous history that Paul talks about, the dumb idols that they were led by. And so they bring this pagan idol, you know, ideology into it. And they think that it's going to be this weird gift of Harry Potter coming out of your hands or something, or Spider-Man's webs, and nobody wants that. But I think on the other side of that coin, there's hyper-Pentecostal. And today's Pentecost, the day when we remember the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 coming upon the church with the tongues of fire and giving them gifts to speak in different languages That because they were in the middle of the city and it was a multicultural area and everyone heard the gospel and the church grew by the power of spirit from this guy who went out there and denied Jesus just a couple of weeks or whatever it was before and now 2,000 people come to get saved through him. That's the spirit. But the hyper-Pentecostalism and a similar ignorance thinks that anything emotional, anything that gives them goosebumps, anything that they do is somehow led by the spirit. And that's a different kind of ignorance. That there's got to be something in the middle there, as we'll see, that's under control. That's fully God, and yet fully holy. You know, and Jesus said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That they couldn't do anything without the Holy Spirit, but when the Holy Spirit came upon them, the church was born. That the Holy Spirit influence and his power and authority is integral to the life of the church. That without the Holy Spirit working and moving, the church is dead. And we see that. And the the Holy Spirit can be grieved in many ways through sin, I think through cessationism, because I think if you look at cessationists, you'll see a lot of legalism. You look at people who are hyper-Pentecostal and you see the complete opposite of that. But that without his influence, power, and authority in your life, we can do nothing for God. Unless God has called you to do it, like in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So you can see a lot of people out there trying to force things to happen it's funny, you'll see a lot of that in the hyper-Pentecostalism. You'll see that in a lot of the cessationist side. 
But they try and make things happen, but in their own way, through a legalism or through a force that's not godly. Because the Holy Spirit is not the force in Star Wars like we'd like to think. He's not a, a, a you know, the word is ghost in the old times. He's not a, ooh, a sheet that comes blowing in and, ooh, we've got to be scared of the Holy Spirit. He's a person of the Trinity. He's just as much God as Jesus is. He's just as much God as the Father is. But the Holy Spirit's role, his personality, and his authority in our lives is distinct and all his own. But his role in our life is distinct. John 15, 26, Jesus calls him the helper. He says, when the helper comes, do you and I need help? Sometimes as a guy, it's hard asking for help. No, I don't need help. You go into a hardware store, they're like, do you, you need help finding anything? It's like, no, I'm good. Because <laughs> sometimes I've asked for help and they don't know anything. But there's other times when, yeah, you know what, I'll ask for it and make sure I've got the right. I had to run out at 7 o'clock in the morning and go get an air filter for my truck. And uh, I looked it up and he helped me find it wherever they had it in the back. So I'm glad I, asked, I said yes when he asked me because it wasn't on the shelf. But he says, when the helper comes, whom shall I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, Jesus says, that the Holy Spirit comes from the Father, that he doesn't come until Jesus goes away back to heaven, but the Holy Spirit comforts us, helps us, and tells us about Jesus. John 16, 7-8 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus says. It's better. There's only one of me. I'm only in one place at one time when he was on earth. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. But that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world in the church age. And that's, to me, the scariest part about uh, the time coming of the tribulation, is that the Holy Spirit ceases from doing it then. Is that when the rapture happens, the Holy Spirit takes the church and his influence away from the earth, and the earth is left to be deceived. The earth no longer has that voice whispering in their ear, uh, this is sin, this is wrong, Jesus is in heaven, judgment is coming. They'll have the remnant of Israel, they'll have the tribulation saints, there'll be angels flying through the heaven, but there's not going to be that intimate touch of the Holy Ghost in our lives convicting us. And that's what brought us all to the Lord. It was, we heard his voice, whether we realize it or not, he was saying, hey, that's sin, you need Jesus. You're going to go, for me, it was, you're not ready for the judgment that's coming. You know about this, but you are going to go to hell unless you repent and turn to Jesus. But that was his role in my life. Not come in their room and make me worship the Holy Ghost, but make me see, make me be convicted about my ultimate need for God and for forgiveness. Because what I see and what I believe based on the scripture, not just what I feel or have experienced, but what the scripture says, is that the Holy Spirit doesn't like to draw attention to himself. And I feel like that's what the hyper-Pentecostalists get wrong. Because he's humble, he's gentle, he's not domineering, but he's still strong, and he's ultimately powerful. Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants. Holy Spirit can say whatever he wants to say, but whatever he wants to say is always pointing us to Jesus. And whatever he wants to do, I mean, the fact that, talk about being humble, we're a bunch of bags of dirt that go around on earth for a certain amount of time, and he wants to live in us? And he doesn't leave us as believers, even when we sin. It says he's grieved instead. 
that's humble. If I was God and I wanted to go live and walk around in a human meat bag, if they did something wrong, I would say, I'm going to go to someone else who can do something better. But God doesn't do that with us. God loves each of us the same as his children, and he wants to dwell within us. But with that, he's going to encourage us and convict us and tell us, hey, this is not good. This is grieving me. I can tell when I sin sometimes, and I just feel grieved, and I know it's not my heart. I know it's God's heart. Oh, man, that's the worst. That's the worst feeling. But just as Jesus shows us the Father, and the Father commands the Son, the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus. On our own, I don't think we'd ever find Him. If God wanted to hide from us, He could hide. Just like playing hide-and-seek with our kids. If we really wanted to hide, we'd just get in the car and drive down to Burger King. They would never find us. But that's not the way God is with us. And talking about that past pagan influence or our pagan ideas about these things or even just reality of spiritual things, evil spirits will possess. All those horror movies that come out used to just be around Halloween. Now it's all year long. But they're all about being possessed, right? The exorcist. These demons cause trauma, right? You look at these, these drugs that some of these people are taking. Uh, what's it? I forget what it's called. But it's like causing their flesh to like rot off. You tell me that's not demonic influence, that there's not some demon, in, like not possessed, but influence, hey, put this in your body or inspiring someone to make these things. And, you know, it's not a demon under every rock. On the other hand, we have our own sin, but at the same time, like that's obviously not the spirit of God at work in this person's life. But we think about demonic possession, that these people are, their necks turning around, they're calling up, up on the wall, you know, like all these scary things. And I think we think that that's what it's going to be like when the Holy Spirit possesses us for lack of a better word that he's going to come into us and we're going to flail around on the floor or we're going to go walk around on our hands and just be absolutely crazy but that's not the holy spirit he doesn't force us he doesn't take us over like a puppet but he's going to come inside us and he wants to use us and fill us and guide us but it's to comfort us and it's to give us power to get through those day-to-day things that are hard to get through but then also on top of that to be a light for jesus And Paul starts off this comparison to the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives to the things that we were all familiar with, with these led by these dumb idols. And I can think back to times in my life when I remember going along with it and I was so in a daze, like, wow, I just really feel like I'm being marched off in chains here and I have no control to stop it. And we're led by desires, by influence, by alcohol. When we were to get drunk and they call it a spirit, right? Wine and spirits. And the Bible says, don't be drunk with uh, spirits, but be full of the Holy Spirit. That there's a similarity there between it taking over us and us becoming a different person. But it's in a good way, that we don't need to be scared of us. It's never bad for us. And I think that we're scared of the way God might work in our lives because we're scared of the way the little G gods used to work in our lives as we let them. We shouldn't be because 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7 says, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he takes away our fear. When he comes upon us, he gives us power, strength, ability, the word dynamite, dunamos. And of love. That when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to speak to each other and encourage each other and minister to each other, even if it's a hard word, it's always out of love. And also it's a sound mind. And this one encouraged me a lot coming to the Lord. 
feeling crazy, maybe even going crazy and then coming to the Lord and my mind being fixed. Sound mind. That when he asks us to do something, the world may think we're crazy. Like, why would you do that? Why would you move there? Why would you go there? Why would you say these things? Why would you live your life this way? But we're not out there like a clown. I mean, maybe God's given you a special ministry and you're going to be a clown one day. I don't know. But that's not the way it is with God. And I think we're afraid of that maybe because we are ignorant of the way he works and we're really ignorant of who he is in our life. And Paul says, and Paul says by the Holy Spirit, I mean, Paul didn't write any of this, but the power of the Holy Spirit says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. The Holy Spirit wants us to know who he is, but he only wants us to know who he is that we might know Jesus better. Because, like I said, it's not going to lead us to insanity. And like I, the commentary talks about past paganism doesn't inform us on the way God works with the Spirit. That just because it works that way in witchcraft is exactly the way it doesn't work with God's Spirit. It's not swinging from chandeliers. It's not barking like a dog. It's not going crazy in the streets. It's calm. It's collected. But it's powerful. It's stern face for the world. Like the Bible talks about, his face will be like a, set like a flint. That when we're full of the Holy Spirit and we're doing what God has called us to do like the disciples, and they say, should we obey you or God? In the face of these men who could kill them, Jesus says, don't be afraid of the one who can kill your body, but be afraid of the one who could kill your body and cast your soul into hell. So there's that strength there of just being, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not disrespecting you in a sense, but I'm not afraid of you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the fiery furnace. Daniel in the lion's den. Joseph in prison and through life. He was patient. And ultimately, this comes from seeing God face to face. When we're intimate with him, when we know him, why are we going to be afraid of anyone else? We know that the God of the universe lives in us. Like I was reading earlier, it says, well, when they call you before the synagogues for being a believer, don't get a lawyer. Don't write beforehand all your arguments. What you're going to say, he says, wait until they actually talk to you there and just say the truth. That the words that are come out of you are not going to be your words. They're going to be the words of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, that we don't need to come up with our own defense, but we let God speak out of us in those sense. So I wonder sometimes, I don't know, I hope I never have to go to court one day, and I hope if I do, that the Holy Spirit will be my lawyer. Uh, but I can remember going to a youth conference with a youth group uh, uh, in upstate New York, uh, further upstate than where we were, and it was a great conference, great speakers, great worship, but then at the end of the one night, they let worship keep going, which was great. I, you know, if they want to, especially as a young kid, let's worship all night. Let's have a concert all night and sing songs to God. And it was fantastic and just felt God moving. But then all of a sudden, it started to get out of control. And you just sense, like, at least I sense and the youth pastor sense, the Spirit of God just left because they started doing crazy things. There was a guy running around, the, running around the aisles barking on all fours. There was someone else rolling around on the ground. And the youth pastor and I looked at each other and we went, let's go. And so we took the kids. We were like, what? Why are we going? And we're like, let's go. We'll explain it later. And we got out there that God was moving in this conference. God was doing great things in this conference. But there was this ignorance there at the end. That these people, I'm sure, love Jesus. These people, I'm sure, read their Bibles and have been used by God. But they let their flesh take over when they're not satisfied with what the Spirit is doing. That 
whatever level the spirit had already gone to wasn't good enough for them. They needed to feel it more. They needed to do something else to try and make up for it, that it wasn't good enough. And again, it's ignorance. And I always liked where Calvary Chapel's position was, you know, not so legalistic that you dry up, but not so charismatic that you wash up. That there's this balance of between the word, as we'll see in chapter 14, between the word and the spirit. That obviously, of course, they're going to go hand in hand because they're, they are hand in hand. It's God and his word. There should be no discrepancy there between the things that the spirit does is never going to be outside of the word. And the things that the word says is never going to be limiting to the spirit. That there's this balance that should be, I think, between Baptists and Pentecostals. Uh, the Baptists, they have this strong emphasis on the Word, knowing the Word, reading the Word, obeying the Word. But then a lot of that side leads towards the cessationism or legalism. And not that a lot of those people don't love the Lord. They're all believers. It's just the church, right? We all get things right and wrong. But then you also need to have that opening to what the Spirit wants to do, to His giftings, as we'll see, done decently and in order. Again, the scripture should test this. We're encouraged to test the spirits in our life. And the scripture outlines everything that the way the Holy Spirit is going to work. And if it's not in here, it's not the Holy Spirit. Because what's the authority on all of it? God's word, right? So when people go off the rails, I believe it's because they're ignorant of the scripture. When they claim things that are of the spirit, but the word says they're not, I think a lot of us can tell. I think we can tell. I think we can go in and go, oh, something doesn't sit right there. Why? Because that's the Spirit of God in us saying, that's not me. You know what I look like. I don't look like that. I remember, uh, you know, just shortly, being on an outreach uh, in Newburgh, New York. is a rough, rough town, and this lady came up to me. I was a young kid. I probably looked like I had my glasses, and I probably looked like a college-age kid. And she asked if I was going to school, and I said no. That I dropped out before I came to know the Lord, and I was actually thinking about going back to school. She says, basically, like she had a word from the Lord that I should go back to school. And I was like, oh, all right, thanks. And it didn't really sit right with me, but I'm like, let me pray about it because obviously I'm a young believer. Maybe this lady knows more, and the word of the Lord has spoken to her. And as I prayed about it, the Lord was like, no, that's not for you. I've got a different life path for you than that, right? And that's not the words he used, he was more real than that, but. This lady thought she was giving me a word by the Spirit, from the Spirit, for me. And her heart was probably in the right place. I don't condemn her for it. But it was not the Holy Spirit. And yet there's been other times when people have given me a word or God's given me a word for someone else that it's totally been Him. But I have to say this, that there's no gift of criticism. <laughs> there's so many people who come in and think that they have words of God and it's really just fleshly criticism. But the Holy Spirit is the one who gives the authority for us to carry out the things of the Scripture. That if God's called you to do something, He's going to gift you to do it, He's going to equip you to do it, and He's the only authority you need to do it. Not that if you're not ordained, you can go start a church or anything like that, but if God's given you the authority, well, He's given it to you. There's, there's things that only God can do that we can now do. And it's not because we're special that we get these gifts, but because God is the one doing it in us. And he's decided to choose your vessel over my vessel or my vessel over someone else's vessel to do a certain thing. Because we're the body of Christ. We're walking around in, uh, just as he walked around in a body. And the same spirit that was in Jesus 
Well, guess what? It's the same spirit that's in you and I. Like I said before, it's greater because there's a million of us now than there was before. And I don't want to go too long, but let's see how far we can get through the next few verses here. Paul says, There are various gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are various operations, but it's the same God who operates all of them in all people. He says that there's various gifts, but the same Spirit. And we're going to look at the different gifts. Don't worry if we don't know what they are or what they're about or anything. That's a whole other study that we'll get there. The commentary calls them glorious endowments leading to miraculous results. That when it's God's Spirit working our lives and it's God's Spirit in us, it's this thing that was given to us that gives these results that we never could have made on our own. And Paul says that as these gifts are carried out in our lives, given to us and used by us, there is a difference in the way they are carried out, right? There's someone who's gifted in worship who will be gifted in worship to play the violin and play classical music and glorify God. There's a gift of, uh, of that in someone else who will be on the drums, right? And they may not like each other's styles, but God is administering these gifts through these people in different ways for the same end. That all in the end, people would worship God together through them, through these different administrations. Just like a man might be called to teach, but he's called to do it and execute it in a different way than a woman. The Bible is clear about this, and it's a divisive one, especially among even the hyper-Pentecostals, that a man is the one who's to be the leader of the church. And there's a whole study we could do on that. But it doesn't mean a woman can't have the gift of teaching. It just means that she's not going to be the pastor of the church. That's not the role the Holy Spirit has for her. She might be children's ministry. She might be women's ministry. She might write books. She might do other things. But it's not to be a pastor of the church. And it's not about being ignorant. I think it is being about ignorant. But the Bible is clear about it, right? But it's the same gift. In God's eyes, they're just as important. We just put these labels on earth and say, well, how come a woman can't do that? And why shouldn't she? I don't know. That's just the way God, I do know, but that's the way God made it, right? And we look at it in a way that one's more important than the other. And in fact, the mom who never leaves the home, raising the kids in a godly way is probably far more important in some sense than the pastor because the life that they learn at home is all day, every day for how many years versus a couple hours a month from some guy they don't know. It's way different. You know, a lot of times when parents would, in a sense, like drop their kids off at children's ministry or at youth group and expect like the church to instill these things in their kids. Like, yeah, God will do that. But what's the more important ministry there? The parents, right? And we can get into all that. Same pastors, children's ministry, prison ministry. They all have the same gift, but it's carried out in different ways. But all of it is of the same Lord. And Ephesians 4 says that I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation with which you were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in bond of peace, because there's one body, one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Uh, who is above all and through all and in you all, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. That he's given us all gifts, and it's the same God who gives you a gift, same God who gives me a gift, and he's the same God who operates in both of us. And if God chooses to operate through you a different way than me, then who am I to say otherwise? If God chooses you to use you in a way, and I look on and I get jealous, well, why? 
God's chosen to use you in that way. God's called you to do that thing. I should be faithful in the things that God has called me to do. And we should look on each other and encourage each other to say, isn't it amazing, brother and sister, that God would use either of us? That God would choose us to be a part of his kingdom and his plan, no matter what that looks like? Aren't we in it for the same reason, not to glorify ourselves, but to let his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? And just because that someone else may have a gift or ministry doesn't mean that you don't, because you're just as special to God as anyone else. Just as special as Billy Graham? Yes. Just as special as Paul? Yes. Just as special as Corey Ten Boom or whoever it is you're thinking about right now? God loves you the same amount that he loves Phil Wickham. He loves you. And besides, we don't know what Phil Wickham's reward is in heaven. I pray and hope it's great and I think it'll be magnificent, but at the same time, he might not get little. Maybe he's not using it right. Maybe he's caught up in it. You don't know that. We don't know that. We can't see the heart. I don't think it is. I think he's a guy who loves the Lord and God's ta- given him great talents and a calling, obviously. But God doesn't love him more than he loves us. He doesn't play favorites like we might play favorites or people in the Bible play favorites for their kids. So why the difference? Well, it's the same God. It's the same spirit, but it's a different administration. It's a different calling. So it's the same call in a sense to be used by God, go to heaven. And, but it's a different way that it plays out. He might be a hand, you might be a foot. And we'll see that in another study. Or maybe, and this is maybe a hard word, maybe it is the same calling. But maybe we haven't pursued it. Maybe God was going to make you a famous movie star (laughs) or musician, but you weren't obedient in the same things that this person was obedient in. So why should we get the same reward, so to speak, as someone who's been faithful with the calling, right? If we can't expect to reap a reward for work we haven't been willing to do. Now, in that sense, God can take all the years that the locust has eaten and restore them all, and he could turn you into a pop sensation overnight and bring many people to know him through you, so don't like let that be a discouragement to not follow him now. But the same God is the same God who speaks through you is the same God who speaks through Greg Laurie or Kirk Cameron. The same God is, who inspires Phil Wickham to write that song is the same God who inspires you to write a love note to your child. And we look at those things backwards too often. We look at the outside. We look at the earthly reward. But we should be living for a heavenly one. Because that's where we're going. That's where the Holy Spirit's taking us to the rapture. It's not to the Colosseum. It's to heaven. And that earthly reward is not going to have the same pull on us. It's not going to matter if we never get famous anymore. In fact, we're going to want to be less famous. We just want to be used by God in whatever way he wants us. To not be jealous for each other. Why? Because God is jealous for us. And that's why he's put his Holy Spirit on us. He's the guarantee. He's the mark for us. The world takes the mark of the beast, but we have the mark of the Holy Spirit that we're God's. God wants us, and he's not going to forget us because the Holy Spirit's in us. So when the Holy Spirit... Sometimes I wake up and my kids aren't around. I'm like, wow, that's quiet. Why are they not sleeping? Did they get raptured and I didn't? Well, no. I mean, hopefully not. But God loves me just as much as them. And if they go, I'm going. But it's for all people. It's for the same outcome. To point people to Jesus. To bring people to heaven. And to make people holy. And I know that we're going long, but I just want to read one more verse to close up here. Verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone for the common good. It's given to us for the common good. They're not to exalt us. They're to exalt God. 
They are given to us not only to benefit us, but to benefit everyone, as we'll see in chapter 14. And the commentary mentions that the Holy Spirit is always present with believers, but at times he's more apparent. Always present, but at times more apparent. I love this because I think in the same sense out of ignorance, we get it wrong. And I think the heart is right when we say, Holy Spirit, come. And he's like, I'm already here. <laughs> I'm in you. Holy Spirit, fill this place. He's like, I don't care about the room. I care about your life, right? Like I get the heart, Holy Spirit, come and fill this place, right? I get that desire rain down on us. I get it. But I think it's biblically ignorant that he's already in us. He's already filling us. Would we just allow you, Holy Spirit, to do more through us might be the better prayer there. The pastor may receive praise and be exalted by the people or a worship leader or whoever, and that's fine. Someone who's worthy of that is worthy of a double honor. But that's not the point of the gift. The point of the gift is not to exalt you. It's to build up the body. And that's a good test of it is. That's a good test of if it, is this the spirit or not? Am I being built up by it? Or is it just bringing praise on that person? Does it encourage me? Does it benefit everyone? Or does the person wielding it get all, get all the benefits, right? Only 1995, and I'll give you the secrets of the Lord, right? Bro, Bible's free. The gospel's free. Jesus didn't charge. Paul didn't charge. You'll be all right if you don't charge. Because it's the same spirit. The spirit who lives in you is the one who lives in everyone else. And if it's the spirit in them and the spirit in you, then the spirit is going to agree with himself. So by the same spirit, let's use our gifts. Let's seek him to know them and our calling. Let us make our calling and election sure. Let's know our Bibles and not be ignorant as together by the spirit we can say, Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. So God, may you just, God, encourage us today. Build us up together, we pray. And God, the, the call you have for us, whether we know it or not, God, would you help us hear it by your spirit? You're the one speaking. So let's hear your voice. And if we've never heard your voice in that intimate way, I know we have. Just help us recognize that you're our shepherd and your sheep know your voice. So God, encourage us all, use us all, and may the gifts that you have for us blossom and grow and be used for your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So may God bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until the door.